morning. How's everybody doing? As far as you know, okay. Um, I don't want you to be afraid, but I'm about to out a few people. I mean that in the nicest way, I promise. Um, I have a word. I know it's from God, and it's for some of you, and so I'm going to ask you to stand up, and it might be a tad awkward, but God seems to love the awkward if you've ever read the Bible. If you were in any uh, type of ministry, vocational ministry, and you now are not, I wonder if you could stand. So you were a missionary, but you now are not paid vocational ministry. You were uh, in seminary. You were an intern at a church. You were a worship leader. I'm looking at specific people. You were in some sort of vocational ministry, and you currently are not. Okay. Here's the word, and it's just one verse from the Bible, so I know it's good. It's Romans eleven twenty nine, and it came to me so clearly. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's the, that's the word that the Lord wants to give to you. Um, I'm not going to interpret the word and, and say that this means you're supposed to go back into it. That's not the point. This is not a directional word. This is an identity word. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In some translations, it says the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. It means God doesn't change his mind about what he's given you and called you to do. The vehicle for that can change, but God's attitude towards you, God's heart for you, God's um, voice over you, his gifts and his calling, they're irrevocable. So um, if those of you around these people could just... uh, Stretch your hands out, come up and touch them if you want. We want to pray for them. We thank you, God, for the gifts and the calling of God. God, you never take them back. You never take them back. You never take them back. And we ask right now in the name of Jesus that as as, uh, these beloved ones receive this word, it would come deep into their hearts as love, as affection, not as angst, not as anxiety, not as... um, something put upon them, but as a gift revealed within them. And so I just ask God for your blessing, the blessing of peace, the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit to come down upon them. Holy Spirit, come and fill them again. Fill them afresh. Renew their vision for for where you have them right now, for this season of life, that they might own it and uh, live it and give it away to the world any way that you call them to do so. Thank you, God, for your decision about these, and it is love. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We, um, we're serious about the prophetic word at the vineyard. That's why we have a discerner who's working overtime today. Um, if that word connects to you and you want to talk to someone afterwards, uh, please do so, the ministry team. If something in that strikes a bad chord in you, You get to do what the Bible says. Don't despise the prophetic word, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good, right? And if you've got any questions about that, come and talk to me or even better, talk to Adam, especially if you're angry. It's a little joke at the end there. Okay. All right. Epiphany. Yes, one person. Epiphany is a word that we usually use to mean a sudden manifestation or a perception of some, the basic nature of something or the meaning of something or like an intuitive grasp on reality through an event or just like an aha moment, right? I had an epiphany. 
an illuminating discovery, uh, a realization, a disclosure. Epiphany comes from the Greek word that means to cause to appear or to bring to light. So an epiphany is when something kind of, you know, the light bulb goes off and you realize, oh, wow, and whatever the thing might be. It means that what has been largely hidden becomes more widely known. It's like an illumination. An epiphany is like an illumination. It's also a season of the year in the Christian church all around the world. And we are currently in the season of epiphany. It's that season in the Christian year between uh, Christmas and Lent when we're getting ready for Easter. It's five to nine weeks depending on where they decide to put all the holidays. I think Hallmark does that. There are three events in the Bible that are associated with Epiphany. And one of those is when the Magi, the wise men, are led by a star, and they come, they're looking for the king that would be born, and they realize, oh, it's Jesus. That's one sort of Epiphany. Jesus is manifested to them. It's a manifestation. Uh, another is when Jesus turns the water into wine, would you not have loved to be at that wedding when Jesus turned the water into wine? And all of a sudden, the disciples realize this guy is for real. There's a manifestation of his power. And the third is the baptism of Jesus, where um, Jesus, you know, walks out of sort of obscurity, and he comes up to John the Baptist, and all of a sudden, the, the heaven is opened, the voice of the Lord comes, announces who he is, and he is revealed to the world as the divine king. Three manifestations of, of Jesus' true identity and his mission. So Epiphany is a season of enlightenment or a season of illumination. And I want to declare to us, whether you follow a liturgical calendar or not, or even can spell liturgical or whatever, we're in the season of Epiphany. It's a season of illumination. It's time for the lights to go on in our lives. It's time for us to see Jesus for who he truly is and begin to walk out the reality of who we truly are. So the question is, is there something in your life that needs to be more clearly seen right now? Is there some place where you're lacking illumination, where you feel like you're walking in the dark? That's what we want to talk about today. And I've uh, chosen the, um, the baptism text. And so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 3. If you have a Bible or a device, please open it. Um, I'm not sure actually if it'll be on the screen or not. I can't remember. Uh, it will not, okay. Um, but would you stand as I read Matthew 3, 13 to 17. I'm reading today from the NIV. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. This is God's illumination. Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. 
God, would you illuminate this word to us this morning and let us hear the voice from heaven that speaks to us. And would you allow us to lift up the name of Jesus in the midst of it. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Someone's not happy about Epiphany. So um, I want to kind of go two directions this morning. Um, I want to take a theological look at this text. In other words, what do we learn about God from this text? And then I'll take a turn and we'll look more practical and more personal and try to figure out, God, how would you have this, us apply this text to our lives? So first, a theological look. So John has been preaching, John the Baptist has been preaching and teaching that people should turn from their sin, should repent, and he's offering this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So John's out in the wilderness, he's a wild man, locusts and honey, and I imagine just a little crazed to look in his eyes, and he's telling people, turn from your wicked ways and come back to God, and he's baptizing them as a symbol of their cleansing. John is preaching, but he knows he's not the Messiah. He knows that there's one to come, and he's just kind of the forerunner. So in the text today, Jesus comes to John, and in the, John, in the, the book of John, not John the Baptist, the other John, the beloved, the disciple John, he writes about this same incident. And in, the John, in John's version, he sees Jesus far away, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John, who realizes, John the Baptist, who's the cousin of Jesus and is now kind of having this epiphany, this realization, oh my, he's the one. He, he proclaims who he is. So John realizes, wait a minute, this is the one who will cleanse us from our sin and redeem us. Would he come to me for me to baptize him? And so John tries to deter him. And he says, you know, I think you got this wrong, God. <laughs> I think you missed this one. I think probably you should be baptizing me. And then Jesus says this funny phrase. No, let it be like this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. I mean, and if you're reading the Bible, you got to wonder, like, what the heck is he talking about? Because when I read the Bible, I thought, what the heck is he talking about? And I'm still not completely sure what the heck he's talking about. But here, Jesus makes, he's saying, no, we have to do it this way. It doesn't seem right to you in the natural. But to fulfill all righteousness, you're going to baptize me. So what does he mean by that? Obviously, Jesus was fully God. He didn't have to, he didn't have to turn from sin, right? Jesus had no sin. He didn't need forgiveness. So when Jesus submitted to this cleansing baptism, he didn't do it for him. He did it for us. Jesus is revealing himself as the Son of Man, and he's identifying with this baptism required for repentance and for cleansing, even though he had no sin. It's Jesus doing it for us on behalf of his people. Jesus doesn't have to fulfill the law in order to be in right relationship with God. He's never sinned. He's the perfect fulfillment of the law. So Jesus doesn't have to try to get it all right and do the right stuff for God to be um, pleased with him. He's pleased with him because he's, he's his perfect son. So Jesus fulfills the law for us 
when he submits to baptism. Why? Because, sorry to break the news, we can't. We can't fulfill the law. We can't get it all right. We can't fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus is here being baptized. I mean, maybe this seems scandalous, but Jesus is being baptized for me. Jesus is being baptized for you. Jesus is walking the way of man to show what it looks like for man to be rightly related to God. He doesn't need the forgiveness, but he walks through it for us. I mean, like a foreshadowing of what he's going to do on the cross and how he's going to conquer death. So identifying with us and revealing that he'll one day submit to what uh, another writer calls uh, um, a baptism of fire or a baptism of suffering. Jesus is foreshadowing, I'm going to walk through all the hard stuff for you. Not just getting wet and popping up, but taking your sins and dying and beating death by raising again from the dead. Thank you for that amen, Paul. So Jesus is, please see the air quotes, Jesus is repenting for our sins. He's going in our place. He's being baptized in our stead. So when Jesus comes out of the water, what happens? Heaven opens and the Father speaks. And what does the Father say? Those words that, I mean, everyone longs to hear. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. So again, we're in the theological part of this, but just imagine for yourself you're a Jew at this time, you're witnessing the baptism of Jesus. And you hear this voice from heaven. Actually, I don't know if we know if we heard they heard it or not, but you hear this voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Any Jew who knew their scriptures, their Psalms especially at all, would immediately go to Psalm 2-7. It's the declaration of the Messiah. And this is what it says, to, uh, 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, Psalm. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. A Jew hearing that voice from heaven would realize that the father is declaring the son to be the Messiah. I mean, it would cause you to quake in your sandals if you were there at that point. So God is revealing Jesus as the divine Messiah, the son that would one day rule as a king. That's what was happening on earth when heaven opened and the voice spoke. And then the spirit descends like a dove. I must have read three chapters about the symbolism of the dove. I'm not giving you any of it. I'm sure it's brilliant. I didn't understand a word. The spirit descends on him with, with the voice and then God's pleasure is announced. Here's Isaiah 42. So we're going back to the prophecy of the Messiah, Isaiah 42, speaking of God's servant, the Messiah. Here's what Isaiah says for God. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. And I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So the next 11 chapters of Isaiah will show that this Messiah is not only king that will rule,
but servant that will suffer. Culminates in Isaiah 53 where we hear the, the suffering servant. We, we realize that the king is going to come and he's going to die and suffer for, for the people before he rules the people. So here in the baptism of Jesus, again, this is theologically, we see the humanity and the obedience of Jesus. We see him walking as a man, submitting to a man's baptism. And in obedience, he does what seems weird for God to do. His identification with us so that he can take our sins away from us. And we see the divinity of Jesus. We see the, that Jesus is fully God here. We see the glory of Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the King. And He's the servant. He will rule and He will suffer. You know, we never put those together in life, do we? We think if you're the boss, you never have to have any pain. And if you submit somehow to pain, you must not be the boss. And Jesus says, I'm the boss and I suffer for you. I mean, that's the beauty of this epiphany, of this manifestation of who Jesus is. Jesus has opened heaven for us, and he will become our sin so that we can become God's righteousness. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Those of us who are in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God in him. When God looks at Chris, he sees the righteousness of God. And put your name in there. If you're in Christ, you are God's righteousness. So Jesus is going to live out his sonship perfectly so that we will inherit his sonship eternally. Jesus is going to do it perfectly, walk like a man, as a son, so that we can eventually adopt take on his sonship eternally. You know what that means? You can't be kicked out of the family. There are people in this room who have been kicked out of their families. There are people here who are at odds with their families. Guess what? It doesn't happen in the kingdom. When you're in, God could not separate you from himself. One more theological note before we move uh, to a little bit more personal application. Are we having some fun? Are we doing okay? Okay. Other than some hints of it in Genesis, this is really the only time in the Bible when we see the Trinity gathered at a party altogether. We, we, we have the Son who is obeying the Father's command. We have the Father who's speaking the blessing, for, blessing from heaven. <laughs> and we have the Spirit that is anointing the Son according to the Father's blessing for the ministry of the kingdom. So we've got the Trinity right here. It's a hard doctrine to understand, you know. But here we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect concord, all working together for this epiphany, for this manifestation of who He really is so that we don't miss it. And that leads to our identification with this epiphany, this manifestation. We, as the children of God, obey as sons and daughters. The Father blesses us with affection and delight. And the Spirit descends upon us. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit empowers us to go out into the world and continue the ministry of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, so that was our theological reflection. Now, let's get, I was going to say down and dirty, but that doesn't sound good. Let's get real. In terms of personal application, I want to highlight three elements of this event. We're just going to kind of go through it again. This, that offer uh, an epiphany for us as followers of Jesus, that offer a, an, an illumination, a time of manifestation for us. See this maybe as three invitations during this season as we walk through the baptism of Jesus again. And what do we see? We see the presence of the Spirit. We see the heart of the Father. And we see the identity of the Son. So we see the presence of the Spirit. We see the heart, I mean the feelings of the Father. And then we enter in somehow to the identity of the Son, Jesus. Three invitations to epiphany. The presence of the Spirit. Matthew 3, it says, At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove on him. So Jesus is just about to begin his ministry. He's going to teach about the kingdom of God. He's going to demonstrate the kingdom of God by doing miracles and signs and wonders. He's going to heal with compassion. He's going to lead with love. He's going to teach his followers how to walk in humility. He's going to live perfectly, and he's going to die willingly. That's what's about to happen. I promise I'm not a heretic. Probably all heretics say that. I promise I'm not a heretic. <laughs> Jesus did not do all those ministry activities because he was the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. Don't, let's not get that wrong. But he didn't do those things as the Son of God. He did those things as a man perfectly related to God the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's really important for us as believers, not to diminish the deity of Jesus by any means, but to make if Jesus did all those miracles as God, guess what? We can't do them because I'm looking around the room, no God. I don't see any. But if Jesus did those miracles, did all that work as man filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? We can be men and women sons and daughters filled with the Holy Spirit and do the works of Jesus. I mean, this is crucial for the way we minister to people. Jesus is not able to do those things because he's the Son of God, but because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he lives his life in perfect relationship with God as a man so that we can see, hey, what does it look like to live in perfect relationship with God as a man or a woman? No aspect of our lives in God will bear fruit for the kingdom without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we just have to get that one. No aspect of our lives in God or our ministry in the world will bear any significant fruit in the kingdom if not attended by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. but We don't have to do it on our own. Even bigger than that, is that if we trust in the Spirit's power, there's nothing that Jesus did that we can't do. Now, careful, I just went charismaniac on you. I realize that. Like, it gets a little scary. But Jesus was either honest when he said, 
nothing is impossible for God or he was lying. Yes, with man it's impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. Guess what? Because of the Holy Spirit's presence, we're the people with God. God is with us. And that, that's why we can pray for the sick. That's why we can give words of prophecy and we don't know exactly if they're going to work out or not. It's why we can preach the gospel to people in our neighborhood. It's why we can suffer for those that we love. It's why we can give sacrificially because the Holy Spirit's upon us. So do you want an epiphany, a manifestation of the Spirit's presence in your life today? Do you want that? Can you imagine, just for a minute, close your eyes if you want, don't have to if you don't want to, can you imagine what a manifestation of the, of the Spirit's presence in your life would look like? What would it look like to walk in your neighborhood empowered by the Holy Spirit? What would it look like to, to speak to your coworkers, to love your spouse, to forgive your parents? And I could go on and on and on. What would it look like? Do you want that epiphany? All right. <laughs> I think that was my wife. <laughs> Thanks, wife. The, um, the presence of the Spirit. Secondly, we see here another invitation in Epiphany, the heart of the Father, the feelings of God. The heart of God the Father is manifested from heaven to earth in this moment of Epiphany. Matthew 3, And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. When God speaks this word of affirmation to Jesus, it's crucial for us to understand that he's not just affirming his love for Jesus. He's affirming his love to every son and daughter in the family of God through Jesus. He's affirming his love in this passage to you and to me if we're in Christ. We, um, we all have some probably, I mean, I'm one of my children is here, so she will testify, don't ask her to, she will testify that every person here has a twisted notion, a twisted notion of what a perfect father is like. Because every one of us has had imperfect and broken fathers. Every one of us. The beauty of this is that God is not like our human fathers. The Father in heaven is not broken. The Father in heaven is not angry. The Father in heaven is not vindictive. The Father in heaven is not moody. The Father in heaven is not uh, self-focused. The Father in heaven is not inconsistent, self-absorbed, or demanding. The Father in heaven looks down on his children and says, You're my beloved, and in you I am well pleased. Hear the heart of the Father for you this morning, just as Jesus heard it for himself. Because if we're in Christ, then this word is for you. Can you hear this? Can you imagine the voice of heaven coming and saying, This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is my daughter whom I love and whom I am well pleased. This is your status before God because of Jesus. You're loved and you're accepted. God, the Father's smile and blessing rests upon you. 
and you can't do anything to change his heart for you. I mean, some of us believe that we are so powerful that we could do something to change God's heart towards us. Let me just say that's a lie from the, I call it the POH. Pit of hell. We can't do anything to change the heart of God toward, towards us. Jesus and the Father, the Holy Spirit, all together, they've already established it. We cannot break what He has established, His love for us. We're loved and we're accepted in Christ, not only when we perfectly obey, not only when we produce a lot of good fruit or get a lot of work done or do great things for the kingdom, not only when we feel good about ourselves. Whew, what a relief. <laughs> the heart of God towards us is perfect love and unconditional acceptance. And we can do nothing to change it. So do you need a revelation, an epiphany of God's heart towards you today? Can you agree with God's loving acceptance, His assessment of you today? Can you imagine what it would be like for you to walk into the world tomorrow to walk out of this church today fully, <laughs> fully aware of God's loving commitment to you. Can you imagine? I mean, we've all had moments of feeling fully loved. Maybe, maybe not even in humanity, but maybe just from God. But you know what that feels like? What if we walked in it all the time? What if we never forgot His unconditional love and acceptance for us? Can you imagine a love encounter with God that changes you forever. So we've noticed and had the invitation to the presence of the Spirit and to the heart of the Father, and now we see the identity of the Son. And this one, I think, hits the hardest. We don't know how much Jesus knew about his destiny, his mission, or his identity before this time. And we don't we just got that one thing where Jesus says, like, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business as a 12-year-old? And Mary and Joseph are like, whatever, I don't know. I mean, we just don't know. We don't have the words of Jesus before that. But here at his baptism, the true identity of Jesus is revealed publicly. He's the beloved son of God. And everything that Jesus will do and think and say from this time forward in his ministry, will be enacted from his true identity as the beloved Son of God. So at, from this moment, when it's kind of revealed, this epiphany, this manifestation of the glory of Jesus, his true identity, his true destiny, this determines everything he does and thinks hereafter. So every other word and action from Jesus, we get to then filter through. He knew exactly who he was. And he lived out of that perfect understanding of his identity. When he leads with confidence and humility in the Gospels, he does it as a beloved son. When he heals with compassion, he does so as a beloved son. When he multiplies food, when he preaches the kingdom, when he casts out demons, when he raises the dead with all that authority, he does so with the authority given to who? God's beloved son. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows who we are. Do we know who we are? Do you know who you are? 
I mean, that's the question that gets me. And even somebody gave me a word early this morning, and, and they, they, it was very encouraging. But what I, I walked out away from the word realizing, God wants me to know who I am. And that's what he wants me to live out of in the world. So close your eyes for a minute if you trust me. Put your hands out. I'll find out who trusts and who doesn't. Just put your hands out. Just hear. Hear some declarations about you in Christ. John 1.12. To as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of the living God. Romans chapter 8. The spirit that you received does not make you slaves, so you might live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, that means Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You are not just a child of God. You are an heir of the kingdom. Galatians 4, 6. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, hear this. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Ephesians 1. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You are accepted in the beloved Jesus. Song of Solomon 6.3, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Why don't you say that one out loud with me? I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Okay, you can wake up. Before we knew Jesus, we were slaves to Satan, and we were enemies of God. And when we came to Jesus, we became children of God. But our truest identity is neither slave nor servant. It's son, daughter, and heir. In our actions and in our attitudes, it goes further. It gets a little scandalous, especially for the men. We're lovers of God. As we gather as the body of believers... Do you know what? We are the bride of Christ. Can we deal with that identity? Can we imagine for a minute what it would be like to walk out as children, sons, daughters, heirs, co-heirs? Scripture says we're kings and priests as lovers of God, as the bride of Christ. So do you need a reset this season do you need an, an epiphany, a manifestation, an illumination of your truest identity in Jesus? I can't imagine anything more powerful for a believer than to 
regularly recognize and live out of our truest identity in Christ. To live from the person that he says we truly are. Watching Jesus identify with us in baptism opens the way for us to identify with him in our own lives of obedience. As sons and daughters, as accepted in the beloved, spirit-empowered and filled. So heaven is open to us. So as we prepare for communion this morning, as we close, I just wonder, can you hear the Father speaking his blessing and his acceptance and his love over you? Can you be the child and experience, hear, receive, and believe your identity? Can you encounter the Holy Spirit this morning, descending, filling, and leading, and empowering? That, those are our invitations in Epiphany. So why don't you stand? You don't have to stay standing the whole time, but let's stand. I want to pray. I just want to introduce to us to communion. I felt like it was important as we walked into those invitations from Epiphany that we would have communion at the end. This is our access point to all of that. It's because Jesus lived, died, and rose again on our behalf. It's because he paid for us that we can come now and take the bread and the, the wine and remember that he's given his life for us, that we're in him and he in us. So uh, if you have given your life to Christ, you know that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord. This is your table to come. And I would just ask that as you come for communion, you ask the Lord, God, what epiphany do I need this season? So when you're ready, please come. You can uh, come down the diagonal aisles and then go back the sort of straight aisles. Uh, received a couple of encouraging words for everyone. So if any of these are for you, just hold on to them, hold them in your heart, and uh, maybe even come up front and get some prayer uh, during ministry time. Um, but uh, there could possibly be several people in here that need to hear the gospel and need the opportunity to receive Christ. So if that's you, don't be afraid. Come up front and have your life changed uh, during ministry time. And uh, guys, the attributes of God, he truly is indescribable. And so we could spend an entire lifetime focusing on one attribute and trying to get to know it and maybe even thinking, okay, I've had these hard things in life that have taught me about the Lord's fill in the blank, perhaps like his wisdom. Uh, but we actually don't fully know that attribute yet. Uh, we could spend our entire lifetime running towards one attribute and not even get halfway there. So just an encouragement to keep pressing in and to keep being uh, open and not content with your understanding of his attributes uh, so far. Um, also, just that it is finished. So if you came in with any sin struggles or you felt like specifically like you were being messed with this week, that it is finished. So you can just hold on to that and know that it's done. You're going to walk out of here and that's not messing with you. You're more than a conqueror in that issue. 
Uh, also, there's a big party going on right now, and if anyone's feeling hesitant, like they're a wallflower at the dance, or they're on the couch and they're like, oh, I don't want to get up, it's just encouragement to, yeah, get up and come and join. Um, and uh, that's everything, so. <laughs> All right, let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward, so anyone on the ministry team, come forward. And if any of those words or any of those words from the scripture, you know, maybe God spoke to you when you walked in this morning and you just realized, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I need someone to pray for me because I, I need an encounter with God. I'd encourage you to come. Um, you're looking for a, a manifestation of the Spirit's presence, an illumination of the fa Father's heart for you, or a revelation of your truest identity as a child, an heir beloved and lover of God, then I'd ask you to come forward. So Lord, I ask now in the name of Jesus that you would uh, anoint each of us to know the truth about Jesus and about ourselves, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, to encounter the love of a perfect father, to know our truest identity as the beloved. We pray in Jesus' name. Couple more uh, ministry team members, and if you want prayer, please come forward. Otherwise, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.